All right, so welcome. My name is Tim Guyall, one of the guiding teachers here at Seattle Insight. So we're continuing with this exploration of generosity or dana and how it's one of these three pillars of wisdom, of generosity, and also of, of sila or ethics that we'll explore next month. It's interesting as we explore generosity and the actions around generosity that the exact same action can come from very different internal motivation, different internal uh, drives, come from a place of interconnection, a sense of openness, an actual, really, the expression of generosity. And it can sometimes come from other drives. It's really that internal motivation that makes all the difference with it's really a true expression of generosity or something that's maybe a little bit not quite fully generous. Some of the mixed motivations that can come up around the act of giving can be a sense of obligation, a sense of guilt, maybe a sense of duty. Maybe it comes from a place of self-neglect, of of trying to be like a martyr over, you know, just giving myself so much away. Sometimes it comes from a place of self-image. I want to be someone who's seen as being virtuous. Or maybe that's what we were brought up to do. Our parents told us this is how you should be, act generous in all, all things. Or sometimes we are generous because we really want something in return. You know, we're giving with, with strings attached. Maybe we want another gift back. Maybe we want something like approval or love or a sense of even forgiveness. And then there's more, we could call it cleaner motivations when we're really sharing abundance, sharing our own abundance. There's no sense of strings attached. We don't really want anything in return. Offering to those in need, coming out of a place of compassion or a sense of letting go, of releasing giving freely. Now, often, if we're honest, any act of generosity is going to be mixed. It's going to have perhaps both these elements going on at the same time. I think it's important not to wait until we're all the way pure in our generosity before we act. Because you know, for many of us, there's going to be a mixed quality throughout it. It can actually be a very powerful practice to start to know both aspects are present to actually sense them, to actually start to tease them out and see where where they're coming from, how they show up. And choosing how to emphasize one of those motivations versus another one. Learning about both aspects can be very helpful in our practice and our integration in our practice and our lives. Now, one way we can start to get a handle on this, try to explore it or tease it out, is to, is to see one of these, these mixed natures of, motiva- of motivation around generosity. Is that when the opportunity to act generously arises, you just to step back and get a sense of how is that sense of self arising with that? How is it manifesting with it? Does that act of generosity actually start to loosen and soften that sense of, of me, of mine, of I? Or does it start to harden it, make it more established, more strong? So I'm going to use this as a way of exploring generosity, really as a point of inquiry, as a way of noticing where it comes from. You're not to judge it, not to try to overcome it, but to really understand it, to see it, to bring clarity to that often unseen aspect of selfing around it, how we create that sense of self. So let's step back a second and explore what does that that actually mean when I talk about that sense of self. Because there's on one hand, there's the complete falling away of that sense of self when it just, it vanishes. There's not, that internal peace is no longer arising. We're just this way of abiding and connecting with life. We don't separate that sense of me versus other things. They're just the the kind of unification of consciousness. And there's also the process that most of us are familiar with, even if we may not know it as such. And that's more the thinning of that sense of self. The way the sense of self becomes less 
reinforced, less established, less strong. And this is this slow dissolving over time, over practice, around the investment and the belief in that sense of self. That's really what our meditation practice is designed to do. It actually starts to work from day one by just saying, pay attention to what's present. Relax your judgment around it. Just breathe, let the breath come. Let yourself acknowledge, as I kind of guided with this in the instructions, is to ground to this present moment. Being in the present moment, we're already a little less defined. Because think about something that you're really regretful of in the past. Your mind goes into the past, and that sense of you gets really established in that recollection. Think about something that you're anticipating, you're looking forward to or, or dreading. You feel more like you feel more established in the midst of that. You feel more concrete in the midst of that. So learn to just practice in a very simple way, direct way, just letting the breath breathe, letting emotions come, thoughts arise, and you just notice that without trying to change it or, or, or fight with it, but just that simple acknowledgement. That in itself already brings us into the present moment. It starts to soften that sense of self. So generosity is a powerful touch point around this. Because again, it's, as I spoke about last two weeks ago, or maybe last week, it's an action that we actually do. I actually give something to someone else, or I receive something from something else. It's like, it's an actual thing we can notice as the act of doing it, what's all going on internally around that. What's all arising around it? And it becomes a powerful way of noticing that thinning of the sense of self or that reinforcing of the sense of self. Because when we act in a generous way and thinning that sense of self, we really feel that, that true generosity, that sense of releasing, that sense of interconnection, that sense of just allowing things to flow, of sharing. And when we give in a way that's a little bit more conditional, like, I'll give you this if you give me that. You know, I'll give this if you choose to overlook my, my problems or my faults. You know, it's, there's a way that sense of self becomes more established, more strong. So this whole point of inquiry really depends on us trying to notice that about that sense of self. How is it arising? How is it getting more established? How is it becoming more thin? Again, there's, there's the absolute falling away that our practice guides us toward and directs us toward, and it works in small ways all the way along, all the way along in our practice. So start to notice when that sense of self kind of gets established, when it gets really solidified, hardens. We feel more certain. We feel more opinionated. It might be a painful sense of self in this moment. It might be pleasurable. But we really kind of feel, okay, this is who I am. This is what I am. All right? So Thanksgiving's coming up in a couple of days, and you might have an opportunity to witness this real time. You know, as the family dynamics happen and the friends happen and someone says something that's a little triggering or upset setting, you can notice how the sense of you, you, you're, you know who you are when you're upset, right? You know who you are when you want something, when you don't want something. It's like, okay, I can feel that. I'm asking just to step back a little bit and notice that solidification. It's like, oh, I'm more solid right here. That in itself starts to teach you kind of in a kind of a subtle way that if you can observe that sense of self getting more formed, that means it's perhaps not always so formed. If it gets more solid, that means it also can get less solid, less formed, less established. Now that sense of me can also be, you know, very functional. It can be a very competent can be a very loving way of expressing and being in the world. It can be generous. That sense of me is a generous sense of self. 
may be judgmental, may be harsh, may be afraid. So naturally, we like those functional ones, like to be competent, like to be a kind of a loving, kind person. But if there's still that identification, that way of, okay, that's who I am, that's what I am, we're still kind of tied to the cycle of suffering. We're still tied to it. And what we need to do with this, this process is learn the difference between that sense of a self-identification and this capacity of being just a, a nice, good human being, a human being that's able to do things and be competent, but we don't have to have that added-on element of identification, that sense of me. We can tell that is happening when that maybe gets confronted or when that falls away, we're not able to do things in the same way or someone judges us, and that self-image gets threatened. It gets kind of riles up around it. Like this loving, generous sense of self. Again, this is, if you have a sense of self, this is a nicer one to have, right? People appreciate that. And yet we can also become identified around that. Now, have you ever felt, okay, I'm going to be really loving and kind, and then someone doesn't see that or blames you or, or gets angry toward you, criticizes you when your expectations aren't met? You can feel that contraction. So when an act of generosity arises and it reinforces that sense of self, makes that sense of self thicker, more established, Start to learn to look at that as a precious opportunity, an opportunity to actually understand this kind of elusive thing we call the self. How is this forming? How is it establishing? Understanding that sense of self is really connected to what causes this unnecessary suffering in our lives. It's very essentially, fundamentally connected to that. All right, so let's look at, we're being generous, right? We're, we're acting in a generous way, but we don't really feel generous in inside. Our hearts don't feel like we're being generous, or we're maybe doing it out of obligation, or I should do this. So this is a, a very interesting place to practice. If you can step out of your normal way of judging that, it's like, oh, I'm trying to be generous, and I, shouldn't, I should really be just genuous, that can tie us in knots. And sometimes our practice can kind of teach us more subtle ways to tie ourselves up, more subtle ways to judge ourselves. You know, I started studying Buddhism. I have a whole new set of things to judge about my, my, how I behave in the world. Well, we can set that aside and just make it to understand this. Let me, under, let me sense this thinning, the sense of firming up the sense of self versus the thinning the sense of self. Now, this thinning the sense of self is also essential for us to start to notice. Now, these it's interesting because usually we just kind of glance over that. It doesn't really catch our eye. It doesn't really catch our attention. The same way that when we're upset or triggered or angry or scared, that really, we know that we're suffering or we know we're struggling. But when you're just sitting and there's a sense of ease in the moment, like there's really nothing that needs to be changed in this moment. Maybe just you're out in nature and you see a bird fly by and you're just, you just watch it. You're not trying to change, chase after it or take a picture of it or do anything, but just abide with it, simply be connected with it. That sense of self has become thinner. When you're practicing a meditation and you start to Mind starts to collect, there's this sense of steadiness. And you're really just letting the breath be itself. You know, hindrances arise, thoughts arise, and it's not our problem. That sense of you is becoming less established. Have you ever noticed how the outline of your body is less established when you're meditating? Like when you look at yourself in the mirror, all your judgments, all your ideas and opinions about your body just show right up. But if you close your eyes and actually just sense what this body actually is like, outside of your thoughts, outside of your opinions, how defined is it? How established is it? How undescribable is it? 
Right? This is all moving us toward that thinning of self, that thinning of identification. So when we start to notice that thickening of self, that, okay, I'm feeling more established, I wanted to be generous, and I'm going to get tripped up, just step back a little bit. The stepping back allows you to observe and sense. Ask, what am I believing in this moment? What do I believe is true about myself? What do I believe is true about this situation? What is making me act generous even though I don't really feel like it? You know, what is what is going on? And you often see this whole array of, of deeper beliefs. Another way of asking it, maybe a more kinesthetic way, is what's the sticking point? What's kind of stopping that kind of free-flowing aspect of generosity? Like I think Gene was talking about last week, that sense of artesian well, that sometimes generosity just flows out of us without any effort. This really doesn't feel like it's coming from us. It's just flowing out. Okay, So you feel like, okay, there's some dams in there. So there's some sticky points. Some things are kind of throwing off that clear, easy flow. Sometimes it's an inner deficit, a sense there's something lacking with me. Perhaps there's a quality being overextended, overcommitted in our lives. So when you feel that sense of lack, that sense of there's a, something, I just don't feel like there's much to give, bring compassion to that. Bring a sense of compassion to that suffering, that overwhelm, that being, being overworked, feeling the suffering of that, and caring that it's there. You know, compassion is that churning toward what's suffering, what there, there's, where there's pain, and caring that it's there. It's caring that it's there. Sometimes that sticky point, that sticking point is a sense of obligation or duty, this overlay that we often put over that sticky point. And this is actual, also very interesting to start to deepen into, to look underneath the surface with a quality of investigation or inquiry. Because these are often kind of running behind the surface underneath our, our awareness. There was a, a book, I don't know, it was probably in the 60s or 80s or something. It's a psychological book called Scripts People Live. And I, I love that title because, you know, we usually do have these kind of scripts that we run. You know, this is how I am as the good boy or as the good girl or as this kind of a person that we learned early on. And that's just kind of a programming that we, we live and act out. I'm supposed to be generous. It's a virtue, so I should be generous. I should be the person who's generous even though I don't feel like it. So some of those mixed motivations I mentioned can be a sense of obligation. Like, oh, I I should give. I I need to give. A sense of guilt if I don't give. Maybe that's externalized. Someone tells, oh, you're not giving enough. A sense of duty, of responsibility. Like, oh, it's my, I need to step up and do this. Sometimes it's coming from this way of reinforcing that self-neglect, like I am less than others, so I can give to I I hurt myself. That self-image, that I want to be a generous person. I want people to see that I'm generous, so I'm going to act in a way that kind of reinforces that self-belief. You can see how all these ways thicken up the sense of self. When you're feeling guilty, when you're feeling a sense of duty, when you're feeling a sense of obligation, your sense of self is more established. Right? It's more there. If you start to notice that sense of establishment, the part that's noticing it is actually outside the sense of self. It's actually something that's observing that. Without wanting something in return, I'm generous conditionally. I'm generous. And it might be maybe overt, like, oh, you have that really nice thing. Maybe I'll give you a gift so I get a gift in return. Sometimes it's much more tender. It's like, okay, you know, I don't feel like I'm likable or lovable. So I give something. I act generously to try to compensate, to try to earn that. So what am I believing? 
If I'm not generous, what does that mean? Sometimes play with that side of it. If I don't act generously, sometimes that really highlights the belief, like, oh no, I'll be thought of as as stingy or as unkind or as being selfish. Right? So if you can learn to see this whole, and this is a painful stuff at times. This is all this turbulence, all the, these all have charges to it. But if we have our, our meditation practice gives us the stability to start to open to it, to actually sense it. Now just that opening and sensing it has a tremendous power to start to transform it. This is really counterintuitive. This goes against the sense of self's whole way of being in the world, right? I'm going to conquer. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to go do the self-help books. All those things. The sense of self is really doing things. It's its own project. But just observing, just sensing something without that judgment, without trying to change it, that has this capacity to transform us because that sense of self is thinning in that. It's softening in that. And the sense of self is one of its things it does. It's kind of a protector for us. It protects us from guilt, from judgment, from different aspects. A lot of that's that sense of you, sense of self, that sense of guilt or shame or low self-esteem. And the core of it is trying to help protect you from another kind of pain, a deeper kind of pain. You know, if you look at it, it doesn't really make much sense, but it's like something that, that made sense at some point in our lives. You know, trying to protect us from that quality of abandonment or being shut out. And generosity can be a, a way that that really plays out. And really the core aspect of, of protection around, of selfing is really on silence, that emptiness, that sense of stillness. And it's ironic because if we really, most of us, one of our deep, deep yearnings is to feel connected, to feel like we belong, to feel like we're not separate. And some of our deepest fears are being disconnected, being shut out, being abandoned. And the sense of self is trying to solve this essential problem, but it does it in a way that actually reinforces the problem itself. But when that sense of self, when we examine it, like we're kind of exploring tonight and through other practices, we finally see it fall away. There's what our hearts always yearn for, is that Connection, that deep sense of unity, is just the way we see the world. It's not an abstract thing. It's a direct felt experience. We see how that sense of me is what's kept me always separate. So that's some of the deeper ways we can take this investigation around generosity. And here's something I'll, I'll propose for you to kind of consider, is that when we're acting out of place of obligation or a sense of I should or res- a responsibility, it's not really coming out of true generosity. It's coming out of obligation. Maybe we just don't pretend that it is. I think sometimes we get tied in knots when we, we really feel like we should be generous. It's our duty or our responsibility, our obligation. And so we're trying to be generous, but really it's maybe just as our obligation. It's just the responsibility we have. It's like, oh, you know, I just, I don't really want to get up at 5 a.m. to help my daughter do something, but I'm going to do that because I'm a parent. You know, there's, and that, there's a way that expresses the care and the love, but in the moment, I'm not like generously, oh, here, I'll wake up in the middle of the night to, to help you. Luckily, she's 20, so I don't have to do that anymore. But when she was a young child, as those, those parents know, it's, it's a challenging time. And maybe times we have to overextend ourselves because we're the ones who have taken on those responsibilities. Because to be really generous doesn't have any strings attached. It doesn't have that sense of 
get something in return. We're just giving freely. So now let's start to turn toward when that sense of self is less established. What is that like? What does that elicit in us? Now, while we're when the sense of self is more thickened and, and solidified through trying to be generous, we really know who we are. But when generosity is actually coming from a place of, of, of really stillness and interconnection, we are a lot less established. We don't quite know who we are in the same way. It's like there's just there's just this giving, there's this giving and this receiving. And yet there's a sense of wonder, a sense of vastness, and a sense of interconnection. We're not kind of narrowed down in the normal way we are when that sense of self is activated. And when that sense of self starts to thin, part of what happens is the energy we put into reestablishing the sense of self starts to fall away. These are the behaviors and actions of our lives ways that we relate to things, to ourselves and to other people, that reinforces that sense of self. It all starts to quiet down, starts to fall away. It really stops making sense in the same way. That's why sometimes you notice, like, habits, just you stop doing them. Has anyone noticed that? There's, through practicing, some things just you stop doing. And you didn't really choose to do that. But something got unhooked, some mechanism of selfing just fell away. It's yourself is thinning. So it doesn't make sense to continue to do that. And something that starts to relax, that we don't need to protect ourselves in the same way, that sense of self in the same way. There's that quality of, of coming home, of being in our true nature. You start to realize that something is true about ourselves has always been there. We just have forgotten. We've overlooked it or covered it up. And so we start to see how that very misperception is what is part of the mechanism that creates that sense of me, that sense of I. And it's yeah, just trying to protect us. It's trying to help establish me versus you in the world. It's trying to overcome that lack, that loneliness, the isolation. So when that sense of self starts to thin and become quieter and quieter, generosity starts to come from a very different place. And the good news is you don't have to wait for that thinning to happen before you're very generous. Just when you find yourself, okay, I'm in an opportunity to be generous, right in the middle of that, you can play with this edge. You can choose to thicken that sense of self, or you can choose to thin it. You can allow that to quiet. And just subjectively, you notice how different those two feel. When you're generous in a way that's coming from that thinning of self, of that non-self quality, it has a very different different experience. Because if we're not really invested in this isolated sense of self and that sense of separation, it means we're connected to all things in a very different way. Like we're all part of the same kind of same field, the same essence. So that means that if I'm sharing something, I'm forgiving generous, I'm really kind of giving it to myself. An act of generosity is actually an act of receiving. If someone gives me gener- something, I'm actually, they're giving it to themselves at the same time. It's almost like the generosity becomes like this balancing out. Like, okay, there's a little bit more here, so it balances over here. And there's this kind of attitude of Freeness of, of, of ease in the midst of that. We ultimately realize that we're just giving and receiving in the same unity. Kind of this flavor that a gift given to you is really a gift given to me. If you give to me, then you're really giving to yourself. Right? So this is something that we can get a, a taste of, we can get a flavor of, we can get a very direct experience of that. And for most of us, we don't kind of just hang out there forever, right? We kind of go back and forth. A lot of our actions are going to be mixed. Some wisdom, some ignorance, some delusion. And so we don't want to take this so absolutely. 
we could all be on a retreat. Let's say we're doing like a week-long or a month-long retreat, and we just feel like there's this deep opening and stillness that all our actions are really flowing from this pure place of generosity. And then we come into the hall and someone is taking our cushion. And then it's all back. <laughs> it's all contracted again. Right? So if we can learn to just notice this play of contraction and relaxation, of thickening the self and thinning the self, that really starts to loosen things up. It's something the self really likes to do is to try to get rid of itself. It likes it as a project because that means it's kind of it's, it kind of gives us job security. Right? And one of the best ways to have job security is to judge things, is to like things one way versus another. And we start to step back the core instructions or just meet the moment how it is. Don't add anything to it. Right? The sense of self is like, I don't have any job to do here. Another facet of this is that we're not claiming things in the same way. Right? This is my thing, my clock, my bell. You know, because that sense of me isn't so established. It doesn't make so much sense to claim it as I or me. It's almost like we're just borrowing and receiving. A famous Zen story around that is from, it's called The Moon Cannot Be Stolen. Rokan, a Zen master, lived the simplest kind of life in a little hut at the foot of a mountain. One evening, a, th- a thief visited the hut only to discover there was nothing in it to steal. Rokan returned and caught him. You may have come a long way to visit me, he told the prowler, and you should not return empty-handed. Please take my clothes as a gift. The thief was bewildered. He took the clothes and slunk away. Rokan sat naked, watching the moon. Poor fellow, he mused. I wish I could give him this beautiful moon. So the moon, the, moon, the, the beauty of nature... There's moments of thinning of self and that stillness. We can just, our hearts just open to it. You know, that longing to share that with this thief who's coming from this, this, you know, place of scarcity, of lack. So the invitation for this inquiry around generosity is just to step back a little notice, like we did the first week, as we noticed. Okay, when you're generous, kind of what's going on around that? And we're just going in a little bit more subtle direction to noticing how that sense of you, that sense of self, is arising in response to being generous, the inclination to be generous, or is it starting to, to become thinner? Right? And just notice how the generosity feels very different, flows from a different place. Try to leave your um, judgment out the door, and just notice it. Just notice how it arises and not arise. Right? That in itself, trust that. Trust that seeing itself, you would start to distinguish, okay, this is the way I want to live my life. Not because I should or I, I ought to, but because it just makes the most sense. Because that's pointing toward this quality of ending suffering, this quality of liberation of our hearts. Okay, can we just sit quietly for a couple moments and then I'll talk about the homework and entertain any questions or sharing you might have. unpack that homework a little bit for you. So noticing when you're acting generously. So step back and notice, since if you're feeling more defined and established, like, look, I'm being a generous person, or, okay, I don't want to be generous, but I'm going to be. All that redefines you, establishes you. Or do you feel less defined? 
and more fluid. There's also fluidity that happens. You're not so contracted into that sense of you. Now, if you act in it generously in a way that thickens the sense of self, you start to notice that contraction, that sense of, okay, I feel more established. So it might be a positive thing, like I want to be generous, so I'm going to be that way. Or it might be the kind of mixed thing that I'm really overextended and I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to. Ask, what am I believing? And where is the sticking point? Where's that sticking point or that flow of generosity? And then when that presents itself, when it reveals itself, tend to it with compassion and wisdom. And compassion, again, turns toward the tenderness, the pain that's there, the suffering that's there. And wisdom starts to navigate, to see it, to grow in understanding around it. And then if we're generous in a way that thins that sense of self, notice the quality of releasing into unity and connection. Releasing into unity and connection. So don't overlook the small ways that this happens. Just the small kind of sweet ways. You might just let someone go in front of you. You might share something. You know, Thanksgiving is a great opportunity as you pass around the food, perhaps. Like, do you want some more? And just see if that comes from a place of a little bit of that thinning. And you may notice that there's a clear quality of connection in that. There's a quality of not being separate in that act. So that's the invitation for practicing this week. And next week we'll... Uh, explore that in some small groups, see how what you've learned about it, what you've seen and observed, and how offer kind of a shorter recap talk. But now we have a chance for any questions or sharing you might have. And here in the room, if you like to, we have a, a mic here so people can hear you online. And those on Zoom, you can just raise your, your virtual hand. Thank you very much for today. You're welcome. First of all, um, so like words are uh, you know used for communicating ideas, mm-hmm. and I think I'm a little bit unsure about what some of the words. Sure. Yeah, that's a good thing um, to check out. So I really like the um, idea of reflecting on our motivations for an act, and that a lot of times is going to be not just one thing, but many things. that seems to be very much along the lines of mindfulness awareness right Um, there's one point that's a little bit challenging for me which is kind of a different point which is about um, that generosity if it's coming out of if an act is coming out not with ease then maybe it's not generosity Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing that comes to mind there is that sometimes like you do things with a lot of difficulty out of a sense of obligation maybe out of a sense of that this is something you just want to do mm-hmm. like imagine for example um, caregiving situations where you're just tired right? but you want to do this and in those kinds of situations, it doesn't feel like it's coming easily. Maybe. I don't know. Um, again, this is like the words thing. Sure. Yeah, and fine. so then there's the question of, like, if you feel like, you know, you're doing it because you really want to do it, uh, whatever the motivation is, um, and you're tired, and you wake up, like, you know, taking care of the kids at night, and you just despite everything, you just get up because you want to do it. It feels like there's maybe part of that is a sense of obligation somehow. Um, But then does that mean that the generosity is not there? Um, It kind of makes me feel like the story or the um, um, the the kind of the, the, the you can't steal the moon story is an idealization, right? It's one of these things where um, the purpose seems to be like very pure, right? Uh, but in practice, like you said, maybe in the earlier earths, that a lot of times it's many different 
factors or many different motivations. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about like this, uh, these situations where you don't do something easily, but you still are doing it, and whether that um, would be a generous act or those would be generous acts or mm. not generous acts. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a great question. So one thing I would I would say is um, whether it's a generous act or not, you can kind of let that reveal itself. You know, so don't like, okay, I'm being generous or not being generous. But just kind of notice that, you know, what's going on in the, in the midst of that. So like going back to that story of can I, the moon can't be stole, stolen, Perhaps this this Zen master, when he came home and found this prowler, his first reaction was yelling at him and f- f- scared and afraid, and and then he like, oh, he's here, he's visiting me, he's looking for, he's needing, he's needing something, so he gives what he can. So I think that's often, you know, like our obligation or our duty kind of gets us into the the field, into the it gets us into the game. That's our mission ticket. And once we're in the middle of it, we can we can still change it. We can transform it in the middle of that into um, a sense of of really true generosity. You know, I can certainly when my daughter I don't know why that's coming up, but when she was like a newborn, you know, she would cry and and you know I'd go in and there might be that resentment, like why is she crying? But once I start to actually take care of her, it would soften into this sense of okay, I'm just going to be here as long as it's needed. Something let go, something softened. So I think as we see those kind of mixed things, it doesn't mean like we have to scrap the whole thing. We can actually just kind of stay there working. In some ways, those teach us a deeper quality of letting go. Is another way we can frame all this. You know, I let go of the obligation, I let go of the shooting, and there's just the love, and there's just the natural flow from that. I think that happens a lot of the time, that we start off kind of in this mixed place and then something else lets go. Right? Sometimes it's the other way. We, we kind of start in an open way and then we're like, oh, you know, we contract. But we can just kind of keep playing with that, keep observing it, keep, um, I don't know why this comes to mind, but it's a little out of left field. Like a plane, there's a, a kind of, plane that has like a wheel in the back, like there's two wheels in the front, one in the back. And those you have to keep, you have to keep steering until the engine's all the way off. Otherwise it's going to go all over the place. So we have to keep steering all the way through the whole act and just keep being present. And then it becomes this really alive thing that some moments are going to be of obligation and duty. Sometimes it's going to be this open hearted flow. And that's, we learn a lot and it's, and that's kind of in the nature of it. I think People who get in, who do a lot of caring like that, whether life circumstances or profession, they go back and forth. Like, okay, I feel resentful or I don't feel feel obligation, and then something changes. They actually connect. They actually start to let their hearts. They get out of their own way. That's super helpful. Thank yeah, you so thank much. you for asking that. All right, Carla. Yeah, I just wanted to um, share a little piece of wisdom that came to mind that I heard on a podcast this week, um, because I think it's related. It was a conversation about um, what the psychologist kind of about um, relationships and uh, how to handle conflict. And one of the things she suggested and shared was in a moment of feeling, you know, resentment or anger or impatience or whatever with another person um we're usually making up a story before we've actually had a clarifying conversation and there's sort of that choice point and a little like mantra she wanted people to remember was can't what's the most generous assumption i can make sort of the most mm-hmm. generous assumption versus the least generous assumption mm-hmm if we're in a situation where we don't actually, we can't read that person's mind, we don't have all the facts, we're at the point where we're just making assumptions. So I think that is a form of generosity too. It's a non-material generosity. And it also, I think, sort of 
contributes to quieting the sense of self because like you were saying anything to do with judgment is really solidifying the sense of self so i think in a situation like that the most generous assumption is usually something to the effect of oh it's not really about me they had something else going on that motivated their behavior probably something i can have empathy with um so i just wanted to share that as another example great thank you carla i think that's a it's a lovely way to explore it is that what's the most generous way i could you know assume them you can the opposite of it is that what's the least generous is going to be one of of isolation and attacking and trying to defend yourself and they're you know they're so disrespectful whatever it might be but you turn it on the head okay what's the most generous i could interpret their actions you know what can i can i expect the best from that the motivation and that's a powerful thing to do yeah thank you for sharing that all right anyone else like to ask or share anything yeah austin one time uh i went to a meditation center in uh Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was a Zen meditation uh, center. And I was struggling to sit, you know, and there, they're really, you know, in Zen, very hardcore. Everybody's mm-hmm. just sitting, as they call it. And I was moving around on the, they call it a Zafu. It's like a cushion. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a posture so that I could just be to meditate, you know. And uh, I was really struggling. And then the, I'm not sure exactly what they call it, but like the lead teacher, he stopped his meditation. And he came over to me and uh, he said, follow me and while everybody's meditating, you know, and took me into a back room outside of the hall. And he taught me how to sit for like the rest of the time that was allocated for the group to sit. And uh, after it was over, you know, I was just crying. Hmm. Just his act of generosity to notice he's supposed to be in his meditation, hmm. mindful, <laughs> not, you know, being with the present moment, not necessarily drifting off and, oh, this guy's really struggling. But he uh, uh, he broke the rules to be generous to me. That's right. So I just wanted to share that story as an act of generosity and how even sometimes maybe our Buddhist practice might get in the way of acts of generosity. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for sharing that, Austin. Yeah, sometimes the the rules or the the guidelines or just the kind of culture sometimes does hold us. We're like imprisoned by it. You know, and to say, okay, there's really there's someone who's suffering, who's struggling, and to actually meet that. Yeah, and there's, I, you know, who knows what he was going on with his his mind, but there's probably a little bit of courage to be able to do that, to to break the rules and to come out of his seat and and talk, break silence and bring you in and and teach you, you know, give you give you that instruction that allow you to practice. And you can, see, you can hear the compassion that came from that, the the courage to go against the the rules. And that's, you know, an aspect of generosity, too. Sometimes it's easier not to be generous, right? It's easier to stay disconnected and, and say, okay, if I, I just won't look at that person suffering, then I can <laughs> I can just kind of keep going. But if you really connect, you know, generosity sometimes makes, it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. You bet. All right, what else is out there in the in the hall, virtual or in person? All right, Jean, come on up. I would like to thank you and Tuary, who is not here tonight, and I'm sorry, because this should be addressed to her too, uh, for the caring and the generosity of spirit that the two of you have for this sangha. Mm. 
about two and a half years ago, there was a Monday night talk. And uh, as we were gathering, getting ready to uh, meditate, there was a lot of noise in the background. And I had this thought in my head, someone doesn't understand what we're about to do. So the screen went blank. The meditation occurred. The screen came back on. No twerry. Just Tim. And you started talking and delivered um, the talk for the evening. And all I could imagine in my mind was that when the meditation started, Dwerry got on her phone. Tim, you have to take this. I've got something else going on. And it wasn't until the following week when Dwerry explained what was happening, was that someone near her was struggling with impermanence. They were about to lose their business. They were about to lose their home. And they were fussing with one another and trying to place blame. And my point here is that she took care of them. She asked you to take care of us. You did. And for two and a half years, I've been wanting to say thank you. Uh, we are well cared for in this place. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, that's, I remember that situation. And being a teacher in this tradition, you know, we give, we offer the teachings really in that, that free way, you know, that, you know, we just accept Donna if that's, it's that, if that's return. But there's this way that, you know, especially if we've gone through like the, the teacher training in our practices, has deepened enough. There's a sense of just of holding. You're holding the whole room and holding what's what's needed. And especially as a as a team or you know as guiding teachers, we support each other. We step in when the other person needs something, and it's really to hold hold that. When you on our retreat, we often do that too. Sometimes we have to you know help help one person or help kind of hold the whole whole container. And it is interesting because, you know, especially taking the Dharma seat, it often does come from a place of not like obligation or trying. So I should should do is just like this is this what needs to happen. So it's more of that that flowing of generosity. And you know, it's like we're all in that. You know, people's actions. You know, as, as students or pra- practitioners, that generosity is also flowing. There's often like the, the care that people just they just step in. So thanks for sharing that, Gene. All right, anyone else like to ask or share anything? All right, Dave. What I'm curious about is how we can talk about our generosity. I think for myself and for others, there is a tendency to not want to talk about it because hmm. of the the selfing and kind of self, the bragging is what it sounds like, hmm. like, how generous I am. But at the same time, it doesn't feel right not to talk about it because I'm hiding myself. And I'm also, I want to normalize generosity, like we, we should all be generous and we all can mm-hmm. be generous. So what's the skillful way to to talk about generosity with other people? Well, we've had, you know, examples here, like, you know, Austin sharing the, the Zen teacher's expression of generosity and generosity of Yatori meeting her her friend and stepping in. So I think a lot of it is is kind of that, you can just notice that conclusion or that that way you you point back to to me how how much you 
you emphasize that. Versus you can emphasize more that quality of connection or the quality of, of, of you know, how, how good it feels to be generous. Or that sense of like I had extra, so I, I gave. Or I, you know, went and volunteered at the, the food bank or at the homeless shelter. And what that's like, you know, to actually, you can say that, you know, hey, I, I just uh, spent the weekend at the, the shelter. Aren't I nice? You know, or you can talk about, you know, like you've shared with me, you know, that connection you've had with people. Like, you know, you actually talk to someone and you could feel what came up for you and you feel that sense of, of connection, that sense of shared experience. So you kind of emphasize that part versus that sense of, you know, look how great I am. And that's, I think that really breeds more and more generosity, more expression of that. I mean, like with volunteering, we could go around the room with all the volunteers and they could speak from that place. Like, you know, could choose to say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I do this and this and that. Or I could say, yeah, I, I do it in a way because when I'm holding the, the room, you know, helping people be able to hear online and in person, you know, I feel like I'm of service. I feel like I'm, I'm really serving something bigger than myself. I guess that's the bottom line is like you're, you're connecting to something bigger than yourself. And you can still be very personal in how you express that, how you articulate that. Thank you. You're welcome. And next week we can all practice that, talking about what it's like to be generous and how you were generous. Yes, come on up. So I'm really glad Dave brought that up because kind of adding to that, I have this experience where I'm caring for a relative and sometimes when I tell other family members about it, you know, like, oh, I spent, you know, my Saturday doing this and we went out and we, that happened and that happened. And I'm just kind of trying to share like what I'm doing and about the relative. And I feel like they, they get kind of like mm, really triggered, mm. you know, that they're not doing you know, enough for this person. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of like attack me like you, Oh, you can only do that because of this or that, or, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I get almost like, I don't want to talk about it because I know that triggers them so much. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think, well, is it me? Is it how I'm talking about it? Is it just them? And like, how can I share about me and the relative without triggering them? So yes. kind of a follow up to what, what Dave was talking about. Yeah. Yes, yeah, interesting um, dilemma because in some ways it's okay they get triggered, right? If they're not stepping up in the way they could or the way they, you know, they should, you know, that's we see that you know there's that saying that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, you know, you can you can see that dynamic. You know, in Sims, like with, you know, who volunteers, who doesn't, there's all these things going on. So how to navigate that? A lot of it depends, too, on the, the person, you know, kind of what the, what your kind of situation or what your assumptions are about each other. Like if I was doing that with a sibling, for example, and I felt, you know, close enough to them, I might, you know, say in a way that's, I mean, there's so many variables with that. So I think the best thing is just to kind of be present with it, present with how you're sharing it. You know, maybe connect more with there's a special thing around this, because especially if you're caring with someone who's who's older or more at need, they may not be around forever. And there's this preciousness of being able to connect with them, to actually be in communion with someone who's who's an elder or someone who's, who needs your assistance that in itself has a way of kind of really, you know, you give back, you're getting, you're getting back for that giving. So you can maybe highlight that aspect. And if they get triggered, you can also realize, okay, that's, that's their own guilt that's coming up that, you know, you, you can do it in a way that kind of elicits the guilt, right? Like, yeah, I, I gave another Saturday away. Oh, you went there, you know, it's nice that you did that. You had fun that day. Oh, I was there, you know. You can do it in a way that kind of amplifies the guilt. Or you can do it in a way that really just connects with the experience of it. 
And if they feel triggered by that, then maybe talk about that. It's like, well, it sounds like you feel guilty for not being able to help as much. Depending on the relationship and how close you want to be, sometimes you can just put it right out there and say, okay, well, maybe you can't give that way. Maybe there's other things you can do. Maybe other ways you can help. Yeah, because sometimes that's also the dilemma is that we don't know how to help. And maybe we don't, we don't have the time. Maybe we have other obligations. But maybe there are some things that we can do. So that's just what comes to mind. But it's so many of these, these things in our life, these dilemmas. The Dharma practice doesn't, at least the way I tend to hold it, doesn't give you a, a rule book or a, a cookie cutter, this is how you should do thing, or recipe. It's much more the skill of learning to be present in your own experience and to listen to the feedback of your actions. You know, and that allows the more you're able to kind of get out of your own way so you're really clearly perceiving things, then you can navigate things more skillfully. All right, anyone else like to ask or share anything? I don't mind sitting quietly with you to give, give space. And if there's nothing else, that's fine too. Yes, yeah, so I do a follow-up. It's right here in my mind. So I want to thank everybody that spoke because I learned from everybody uh, that spoke today. So thank you for that. And I also appreciate very much your question because I've struggled with that point, um, and two of the speakers today um, gave me a helpful insight, which is, you know, I can think about the generosity of other people towards me as well. Um, I struggle because of wanting sometimes to speak about things that I do, uh, but, uh, you know, those are not, that's not the only source of example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the examples of the many people that have been generous to me also uh, that's an awesome source and benefits probably others and benefits me as well to think about it. So thanks to everybody for all of that. Thank you again. You're welcome. Yeah, the, the generosity of asking a question is like you know, we have our own motivation and things we want to understand, but really having the courage to ask a question, everyone hears it. Everyone gets to learn and amplify it, and that's that's part of that, that growing. I mean, imagine what it would be like if you had a, a, like a generosity club that you know, instead of a book club, every, every week you got together and talked about acts of generosity that you did and what that felt like. And you can go into all the details around it and the struggles and the mixed you know, motivations, but also just the joy of it. You know, what that would do for, if we did that every week for a year, we'd probably be much better for that. You know, wouldn't it be great if, if we had equal time for acts of generosity on the news to acts of violence? You know, this is, I think our, our, our minds, you know, we really gravitate toward what's wrong and what's painful, but there's all this generosity that's also happening. Yeah, so, and then, you know, express, here's another thing we can talk about. You talk about receiving generosity is really take the time to acknowledge that gift, to actually look the person in the eye and say, well, thank you, that, you know, that I could really tell that you cared about me or you really went out of your way or you saw me in some way or, yeah, I really needed that and you and you really helped that. That helps that kind of complete that circle of generosity, the things that sometimes, like Gene's saying, that you're, you're holding that for a couple of years to be able to express that. Yeah, and that just allows it to grow and grow. Yeah, so how about that for another homework is if you go to have a Thanksgiving meal, try to talk about generosity. You You may have its, you know, the things of obligation and duty and guilt, all that come up too, but focus on the, the connection, the giving and the receiving. Yeah, thank you. All right, we have space for maybe one more. If there's anyone out there like to share anything, that's fine if there's not.
All right. Yeah. Try to <clears throat> free up generosity from material things or money or things like that. Think of it. Start to see generosity as as the generosity of of paying attention, of being attentive, of being connected, of actually making contact with another human being. Notice that quality of generosity. And when someone gives that back to you, delight in it and, and acknowledge that. And keep you see generosity is is it's just a stance. It's, it's really a way that we can go through the world that's so aligned with our practice. So thank you all for your your engagement tonight, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday on Thursday. And if it's a difficult time for grief or loss, may you find some way to you know, just stay grounded, stay connected to nature, to feel that. Maybe a dialogue around generosity may help your heart ease. All right, so next week we'll have a chance to kind of dig in with this, your own, your own expression, have a chance to practice and, and share your, your wisdom and understanding and struggles and ignorance with each other. All right, have a lovely evening, and we'll see you next time.